Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. As, as we think about how God works in our lives to encourage us, you don't have to look far to find out the difference that encouragement makes. Around this time of year, some of our students are taking those three-letter tests, right? You remember those ACT, SAT. I know you have great memories of those. Uh, Those are the tests where we take kids who are like extremely mathematically gifted and we give them a problem that says something like, beans are to coffee as blank is to tea. Um, And, uh, you know, the answer is leaves. And if you didn't get this right, congratulations, you could still be a great engineer. It's going to have nothing to do with, 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 with your career track. Or we take a kid who is just musically off the charts and we say, hey, do calculus, right? right? So, so we, we, we have those tests and uh, they are uh, their own kind of experience if you've been through them. And it was interesting each time I talked to a student about that. I remember when I went through those. And I can remember we all went and we took them on a Saturday and we all resented having to be there on a Saturday. I think they should give you extra points if you take it on a Saturday. Uh, But they told us before the test, they said, don't talk to each other beforehand. And later when you get your scores, don't share those with each other. So what did we do? Right, We talked all beforehand about our strategies, and then as soon as we got the numbers, we all told each other. Well, what I noticed in that experience was that basically when we went to take the test, there were in essence two different groups of kids. One group was like, you know, my parents and my teachers told me I was fairly well prepared, and I was smart, just do my best, and if it didn't go great, I could redo it or it wasn't the end of the world, no problem. Other group said, I studied and studied and studied and I have to do, I have to ace this or I won't get the scholarship to get into the college I want to get into, to go on the career path I want to go on and it's gonna affect me detrimentally for the rest of my life. Guess which group of students did better on that, those tests? Because we know, because we shared the scores. The first group. The first group. Guess which set of students prepared more? The second group. Guess which set of students probably had a higher IQ? The, the second group. Guess who did better? The first. Why, why was that? The first walked in encouraged, right? The second group walked in discouraged. I recently was at a high school athletic event and I just happened to be standing next to a man who had been a professional athlete and still trains really elite athletes at a high level. And we were talking and he said, hey, Will, look down there on that bench at the kids who aren't getting to play. He said, I bet you a bunch of those kids are every bit as good as the ones who are. It's just the ones who are have learned to believe in themselves. And those kids haven't learned to believe that some of those kids just, if they would just believe they could do it, they'd be be just as good. Uh, If you're encouraged, amazing things can happen. 
And in fact, science backs this up. We find that when we have massive amounts of discouragement and stress that we can do tests on the brain and the brain has to spend so much energy on that discouragement and stress that it has less energy and less power to focus on the task at hand, right? Uh, Encouragement's a huge deal. Uh, So uh, we look to God and we recognize that we are thankful that God has given us Uh, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a spirit of encouragement, not a spirit of discouragement. I want to invite you to start every day with the Holy Spirit uh, being encouraged because there's plenty in this world that can discourage you. If you just look at the, and I'm still, I'm old school. Um, I I love getting a paper. I get the newspaper in print form. I I like putting it out and I like reading it during breakfast. Uh, I mean, that's just what I think breakfast is. You're supposed to read the newspaper. Uh, But if that's where I'm ultimately getting my hope from, or good gracious, if I'm getting my hope from my newsfeed on my phone, because you know, the nice thing about the newspaper is it's already printed and you just have to read what they put there. But on your phone, if you click on one negative article, You know, if you click on one article that's like, oh, the economy doesn't look good next year, it'll be like, this person likes articles about the economy going downhill. You know, or, you know, one one person's doomsday scenario, this person likes articles about the end of the world. And you get all that. If that's where you're getting your hope from, if that's where you're getting your encouragement, it's not going to be enough. Start your day with the Bible. Start your day in prayer. Start your day with the spirit of encouragement. And if you don't read your Bible yet every day, we have a Bible reading plan for you. Uh, you can pick one up at the information center in the lobby. You can find it on concordunited.org Bible. There, not only can you find a bi- daily Bible reading plan uh, that's short enough you can do it, in depth enough you'll get something out of it. You can also find a daily devotion, uh, again, uh, that will... help you interpret the scripture, uh, help you see how God might be speaking through it and also give you a prayer focus for the day. Uh, So so be sure to start your day with a spirit of encouragement because encouragement is in fact the key that unlocks our God-given potential. It's the key that unlocks our God-given potential. Uh, Today, some of the folks from our church this afternoon will travel down to Church Street United Methodist Church downtown. Uh, They're having an experience there, uh, a workshop called uh, The Cost of Poverty. And it's a poverty simulation. I don't know if any of you have ever been through poverty simulations before. But what it is, is in essence, uh, you're placed in a group, a a, a pretend family, and you're given a certain amount of resources. And then... Uh, the things that happen in life randomly happen to you. And you have to use your resources to navigate it to see how will I make it through a month with the resources I have, with the challenges I have, and then how will I make it through the next month. And if you do, if you do this very often and you really analyze kind of the, the experience and the, the scenarios you're put in, in essence, what you realize is, oh, wait, I'm being asked to play a game I can't win. Or the only way I can win this game because I don't have the resources I need uh, to even get the resources I need is if everything goes perfect this month, we might be okay. But the only way we remain okay is for everything to go perfect every month and everything doesn't go perfect every month. So you realize you're in a game you can't win. It's a lot like systems of poverty at work in our world. And it gives you a new appreciation Uh, for people who feel like life is a game they can't win. Uh, 
and how you might respond, uh, how we, any of us might respond if we ever got to that point of feeling like life is a game you can't win. In fact, when I went through a poverty simulation several years ago, uh, I, I learned and I watched the different groups and I learned that there are three different ways uh, that people tend to respond when they believe they're in a game they can't win. Um, the first way is just quit. Just throw in the towel, quit, whatever happens, happens. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. Why, why should I even bother with this? The second way is cheat, right? I'm gonna, the system is set up against me, so I'm going to cheat the system. And I'm not even going to feel that bad about cheating the system because in essence, the system's already cheating me. I've got to figure out how to cheat the system. And then the third way is become jaded and angry. Now, when I went through the experience, I want you to know I'm not immune uh, if you're wondering which one of those options I chose, I chose option two, cheat. We won, right? My group, well, I'm competitive. My group won the poverty simulation. We may or may not have taken money off of tables of other groups uh, to, to, to do so. And uh, thankfully, it, had we played it long enough, we probably would have ended up in jail. But for that period of time, we won. All joking aside, I imagine that there are some of you here in this room who've begun to feel like life is a game that you can't win. It might be because of poverty. It might be because of strained relationships. Uh, it might be because of stress and anxiety. Uh, it might be uh, because of workplace or, or school place stuff that's going on. It might be any number of things. It might be that you even can't put your finger on what it is, but things just don't feel right. And uh, you, you're not sure what you're gonna do. Well, thankfully, the Bible is full of people who became discouraged by life and full of people that doubted God's ability uh, to bring them through and encourage them uh, and make a better tomorrow for them. And the Bible is full of how God surprised them with God's power. I want to tell you today about one of those folks. His name was Elijah, uh, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, he's, uh, we, we learn his story in the, in the book of 1 Kings. And uh, he came along at an interesting time, uh, at a difficult time. The nation of Israel had a king named Ahab. Uh, and Ahab was one of these guys who kind of went with the flow. Uh, so when he married a woman named Jezebel, and if you think you've heard that name before, you might not actually know much about the uh, biblical character. Uh, but let me tell you, there's a reason why her name sticks around. She's a bad lady. Like, she's a serious lady. And she came in and she worshiped this God named Baal. And she told uh, Ahab that he should worship Baal. And uh, Ahab, um, I know you don't know many men like this, but uh, she said, you know, get up and go. And he got up and went. And so he worshiped Baal. And Baal, again, was awful. You had to like sacrifice people and kids to Baal. And, you know, not, not, not the type of God you, you really want to um, follow, uh, but they were making all these altars to Baal all over the country, and the country was in crisis. They were no longer worshiping the one true God. Uh, they had a drought and a severe famine, and along comes Elijah, who's like the, the chief prophet of the one true God, and Elijah uh, is just beside himself. Like, there's a famine, uh, you know, the people have turned away from God, uh, and he prays, uh, and then God inspires Elijah to set up a competition uh, with the prophets of Baal. And God says, go tell the prophets of Baal and Baal's priests that you want to build, an that both of you will build altars. Uh, 
and you will call down fire from heaven. And whichever altar catches flame, that shows you whether I'm real or whether Baal's real. So Elijah does it. And uh, the prophets of Baal, they build their altar and, you know, they're dancing around it and singing and waiting for Baal to set it on fire. And, and I love Elijah. Elijah's got a little swagger to him. He sits there and he trash talks them while he's like, maybe you should sing a little louder. Maybe Baal would hear you. Maybe you should dance a little harder. Maybe Baal would hear you. Well, nothing happens. So then Elijah builds his altar. And he's like, not only will my God set this altar on fire, I'm going to douse it in water, right? You ever tried to get a campfire lit when it's doused in water? Elijah's like, nobody's going to accuse me of cheating or of just getting lucky. I'm soaking this thing. And not only am I going to soak it, I'm going to dig out all around it and I'm going to build a moat. And then fire's going to come down and consume it all. And sure enough, he does it. He prays. Fire comes down. It's so much fire that it evaporates all the water. It incinerates uh, the altar and the lumber on which it was built. And it even burns up a lot of the priests of Baal who were standing too close to it. I mean, it's like the biggest spiritual uh, victory, uh, miracle ever. The drought ends. The people have, have food again. You'd think Elijah would be on cloud nine. Uh, but then... Uh, Jezebel shows, again, she's a bad lady. Here, here's what happens. Ahab told, uh, this is picking up in chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, he said, uh, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. He looked and there at his head was a caked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. All right, so he has this incredible victory. And then what happens, uh, Jezebel sends the special forces after him. She puts out a hit on him. And she's like, I, I'm sending them. We're by the end of the day, we're going to tear you to pieces. You're going to be no more. And does he trust the same God who sent fire down to, to save him? No, he, he wigs out, right? Uh, he, he totally has a panic attack and decides that, you know, God, you got me through that, but you can't get me through this. So just, I've had a good enough life. Take it. It's over. I'm, I'm, I'm done, right? He, 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 he comes to believe that life's a game he can't win, and he takes option one. He quits. He's just like, you know what, God? I'm done. Logically to us, we look at him, and we're like, that makes no sense, Elijah. Didn't you know how good God was? You had already seen what God did, but here's the deal. How many of you in your life have had something where you can tell me about how God brought you through something, but then with what you're going through now, you're internally wondering if God can bring you through that? right? Uh, Elijah's not incredibly unfaithful. He's incredibly human. That's why he has this reaction and ha has these questions. And friends, it shouldn't surprise us. We know even more about God than Elijah knew. When you follow a crucified Savior, you shouldn't be surprised when life gives you more than you can handle. 
That's, that's what life does, right? Life gave Jesus as much as Jesus could handle. Before he was crucified, he went to the garden and he prayed and he was so disturbed that his sweat became like drops of blood. We shouldn't be surprised when life gives us more that, than we can handle. I had... Uh, an incredible opportunity this week. Uh, you saw in the announcements, uh, we're about to have the hike to help raise money uh, for Camp Wesley Woods. That's on February 11th, I think about two weeks from the day. We'd love to have you come out and enjoy the beauty of the mountains and uh, help, help the camp. And I got to go with some of my favorite people to clear the, some trails uh, to make sure it was all in good order uh, yesterday, and, or I think, or Friday. And I went with my wife, Rebecca, and Pastor Brooke and her husband, Clay. And uh, we, we weren't doing the heavy chainsaw Work. We were we had, we had clippers and we had had rakes and we were clipping all the briars and the things that had grown up on the trails and raking it. So we got out there and I did the same thing last year and I was on those trails and I swear like in the trail over the winter like trees will grow up in the middle of the trail but they'll be short enough that you can still get them with clippers. You don't have to have a saw. I swear I cut down some of those same trees last year. They're back. Like sometimes I could see where I had cut them, right? And they grew right back up there. And goodness gracious, the briars grew back, right? I had clipped all those briars a year ago and I think I just made them angry. And they're like, oh, we'll come back with more this year. That's what nature does. You know, those trees and those briars, they didn't spend a single amount of time feeling sorry for themselves and going, I can't believe that bad man clipped me, Right? They just grew back. They just did what was in their nature to grow back. Uh, that's what nature does is it grows and you can cut it down as much as you want and it will, it will just grow back. Well, that's the nature of God's spirit that God's put in us is that whatever happens, if we allow God's spirit to do us, God will just keep us growing. That we should expect that there are going to be times when life comes and cuts us down. And those trees didn't say, man, if I spend all this energy growing just to be cut down again, what a waste. They just keep growing back. That's, that's how we can see life when we're living by the Holy Spirit. Life's going to cut me down. You know what? I'm not going to be surprised. I'm just going to grow back. And maybe eventually I'm going to grow so big and so tall that life can't cut me down anymore. Or maybe my whole witness to Jesus Christ in my life is just going to be that every time I get down, I keep on growing back. Whichever it is, I know what God is. I know what God does. I know that it's not done and I know that it's not worth, worthless. I know that there is a witness within it. I see sometimes this happen and be a problem with having, sometimes we have our expectations so high that we invite discouragement. So I want to ask you how your life might be different if maybe you expected, you began expecting life to be tougher, but also expecting God to be better. Expect life to be tougher, but expect God to be better. I see this sometimes in marriages and people will come and they'll say, we're having trouble in our marriage. And I recognize that there are moments in certain relationships where there truly are irreconcilable differences that, that just can't be worked through in a healthy way. But sometimes I'll have people come and talk to me and they'll be like, you know, we, uh, we fell out of love with each other. And I'll be like, well, well explain, to me, explain to me how you did that. Ex explain to me how, how that happened. And they said, well, we used to feel so in love and now we, we just don't feel so in love anymore. And you know, I'm like, well, well, tell me about when you felt in love. And we, we go through this and it turns out that, oh, so you felt in love when you were both uh, single with two different incomes. 
And you felt in love when you were married with a, com a big combined income and no kids and you could travel whenever you wanted to and go wherever you wanted to go. Uh, and uh, now, uh, you know, you've got all these little ones at your house and you're really running a small business together, right? And you're, you're doing that or now you're getting older. And funny thing, about, funny thing about that bit we say at the altar, like in sickness and in health, um, like our bodies start like getting creaky. And when our bodies get creaky, like we get cranky, right? Creaky and cranky are good friends. Uh, they they kind of hang out together a lot. And, and we get this and people are like, so we don't feel it like we used to. So, so we think we fell out of love. And the problem is uh, they were defining love as an emotional experience. It was a, a noun for them rather than a verb, right? It was how they how they felt rather than what they did, right? That no, we, we, we love one another in sickness and in health for better or for worse. And a lot of those relationships, praise God, are fixed just by saying, we're gonna go back and redo the expectations. And then we're gonna find that all that amazingness that we talk about of being in love, it's still there. It's just not gonna feel that way 100% of the time. I think about one of the characters in our nation's history, Abraham Lincoln. Have you ever heard the story? His family moved out to Illinois and or what's now Illinois and they're on the frontier his mom passed away and his dad like leaves the kids to go back to east to find a wife like we get in trouble today if like we leave a kid below the age of 10 home while we go to the store to get milk he left them on the frontier for weeks that's awesome like <laughs> so it, anyways his dad goes back east and after like six weeks finds a wife and brings her back. Now, do you think that he brought that woman back to be his wife because he found a soulmate? No, right? Do you think she looked at him and went, oh my gosh, Prince Charming. No, that was an economic arrangement, right? Uh, that they both need, she needed to know some questions about him. He needed to know some questions about her. And their relationship was like 90% economics and 10% I can stand you. Um, you know, back then a woman needed to know, uh, can, can he build a fence? Because if not, our livestock and a lot of our wealth is going to escape and get away. Uh, can he hunt? And it wasn't like today where like, you know, if you ask a woman, do you like a man who hunts? Maybe she just likes the way he looks in camo. Uh, Maybe she likes the fact that he'll clear out during the weekends and give her the house uh, to herself. I, I, I don't know. But back then, do you like a man? If you, if you wanted to eat meat, you needed to like a man who hunted, right? And for him, he needed to know, can you fix stuff around the house? Can you take care of the vegetable garden so we can survive? There are times in marriage where you just have to survive, not just on the frontier. But there are times when you just survive and then there are times when God's going to give you that incredible experience where, where you can kind of have the mountaintop experience. But the mountains and valleys both come. Uh, we need to be prepared and invite the Holy Spirit in, into all of that. Now, if you're not married, don't worry. Uh, I'm going to pick on you also in, 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 in the rest of the sermon. But let, let's go back to Elijah and uh, pick up and see what God does. Let's, let's look and let's try to discern how does the Holy Spirit encourage not just that the Holy Spirit encourages, but how does the Holy Spirit encourage? So we're picking up. Remember, he, he was like, I'm done. Uh, just take my life. Holy Spirit comes. 
uh, bakes him some food, lets him rest, and then we, we pick up now with verse 7. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. At, the place he, at that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? So what's the first thing that the Holy Spirit does to encourage Elijah? It, does the Holy Spirit come up and fuss at him? Does the Holy Spirit say, hey, Elijah, uh, you're an idiot. Uh, don't you remember what God did for you before? I can't believe you, Elijah. Get yourself together. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comforts him. The Holy Spirit comforts us, uh, encourages us by comforting us. That's the first thing. The Holy Spirit says, hey, I recognize where you are. I'm just going to give you some space. You know, and not only am I going to give you some space, uh, I'm going to, let, let's just take the pressure off a little bit. I'm going to bake you some food. Uh, by the way, uh, one of the smartest things my mother ever said to me, she said, Will, there was a way I survived you being a teenager. Uh, and I said, how was that? She said, before I fussed at you, I always fed you. And I always knew it was going to go better. If I, she said, no matter how mad I was at you, I fed you. And then I fussed at you. And it just worked out much, much better that way. Uh, that's not unlike the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's like, Elijah, man, you need a break. Take a, take a nap. Take a rest. Here's some food. Holy Spirit begins. But sometimes when we have people come to us and we can tell they're discouraged, they just need us to, to tell them, hey, take a break. Hey, come on up, sit down. Relax for a minute. That's, that's the first thing we need sometimes. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't stop there. It goes on. And here uh, we, we pick up with, with verse 10. R remember, uh, God has said to Elijah, what are you doing here? Eli verse 10, Elijah answered, I have been zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking to take away my life he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, what's the next thing the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit listened, asked the question, Elijah, why are you so troubled? And listened to Elijah's answer. And didn't immediately condemn Elijah for, for what he said. I mean, Elijah says, you know, I'm zealous for God. I'm doing my best. Everyone else has been killed. I alone am left. Have you ever felt that way? I'm the only one who understands. I'm the only one who has to deal with this. I could try to tell you about it, but you wouldn't understand. Uh, and nobody else is in my shoes and nobody else knows what this feels like. You've been there. Elijah was there. It's, it's not true, but it's how we feel. And God says, yeah, I get it. I get it. I hear you. I know how you feel. Holy Spirit listens and then says, hey, go out here. Go out here. And after listening, uh, then this is what happens. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
He answered, I've been zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're seeking to take away my life. He repeats his problem. He's like, I'm the only one. I've told you, this is the problem. I appreciate the food. I appreciate the rest. Still got this problem, still not solved. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel as king over Aaron. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, of Abelahola, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Aziel, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elijah shall kill. He protects him. He's like, you know what? You're all concerned about Ahab and Jezebel. Guess what? They're not king and queen anymore. I'm anointing new. I'm using you. I'm anointing new ones. And these new ones, they're going to protect you and they're going to protect the people. You feel all alone, but actually uh, you're on the winning side. Uh, This is how it's going to go. He protects him. The Holy Spirit encourages us by protecting us. In Elijah's circumstance, the Holy Spirit physically protected him uh, from Jezebel and her special forces units. Uh, but, but sometimes in our life, the Holy Spirit of God protects us from uh, physical consequences. Sometimes what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit seeks to protect us from, a, we have to deal with the physical consequences, but the Holy Spirit will always be protecting us uh, from the emotional uh, and the spiritual consequences and saying, here is the strength to keep going. Here is what you need in this difficult situation. Here's what you need. Even as you encounter pain, the Holy Spirit protects us always and gives us what, what we need. Even in those moments where we just can't possibly see how, or even in those moments where we don't care if God's listening because we're not talking. I'd heard people tell me before, about times when in their life when they couldn't pray. Uh, I've heard a number of people say, you know, when I went through this tragedy, when I lost this loved one, when this happened to me, I just was so angry and mad and disturbed uh, that I couldn't pray. I could not pray to God. And I always respected those stories. I'd never had it happen to me until my late 30s. And I had a situation come up uh, where I was just watching people hurt each other dramatically and I had done everything I could do and I realized there was nothing I could do to stop it and I just had to sit there and watch it play out. And it was awful because it was people that I loved. It involved family members and it was just awful. And all of a sudden I couldn't pray. I wake up every morning. I read my Bible. I pray. That's what I do. And I didn't have any words left. And I was so disturbed, I just didn't have anything to say to God. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't even want to. Uh, and I thought, what, I thought, oh, this is what they were talking about. This is what they tried to tell me about. When that happens, when you are that degree of discouraged, the Holy Spirit doesn't get scared of that and run away. No, this is what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, This comes to us from the New Testament as the Apostle Paul is writing about the promises that we've received through Christ to to the Romans. In the 8th chapter, uh, picking up with the 26th verse, he says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we're at our weakest point, when we don't even want to pray, 
We don't have anything to say to God, even if God's listening. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. When you are at that level of discouragement, the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to God the Father in sighs too deep for words. Uh, Sometimes you get to those moments in life where words just don't do it justice. God has a language for that and the Holy Spirit knows it. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a hospital room and I've told somebody, we've been praying for you. Or I've even said, we met at 10 a.m. yesterday and we prayed for you. And they'll say, I felt it. I I know you did because I felt it. Friends, when you're at that lowest point, you've got a lot more than just your church praying for you. You've got the Holy Spirit praying for you. You've got the Holy Spirit praying for you in the presence of God the Father and God the Son with sighs too deep for words. The Holy Spirit encourages us by praying for us. If we want to encourage one another, we can start by comforting, listening, protecting, praying. If we want to find encouragement ourselves, we can look to the Spirit for that and we can trust that the Spirit is, is doing just that. And I want to tell you the, the difference that that makes when, when we think about even with all we're up against in, in this world. Uh, listen to what Paul says a few verses later. He says, because of this, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. no. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, that's good news. And it's true news. Let's pray together. Gracious God. We thank you for sending us not a spirit of discouragement, but a spirit of encouragement. Uh, We thank you that in our darkest moments that your light is greater. Uh, We thank you uh, that in our loneliest days, you are right beside us. Uh, We thank you uh, that when we cannot see the road ahead, you have already paved it for us. Uh, We thank you, O Lord, uh, that you will not leave us or forsake us, uh, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things that happened in our past, nor things things that will happen in our future can separate us from you. Lord, we we give you thanks for this promise that your spirit is with us closer to us than our very breath. Let your spirit live in us. Oh Lord, encourage us, uh, comfort, listen, protect, pray for us. uh, Oh spirit of God and live within us uh, that we might encourage one another all the more as we see your work in our midst. We pray these things in your holy and awesome, mighty and powerful name. And we all said together, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. 
Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.